We'll talk about uh, what's important to most people uh, for their long-term emotional well-being. And uh, you probably know already, uh, I think Raina is going to tell us uh, it's love. And um, if uh, if we have time, we'll be sure to cover how love is related uh, to the feminine principle, um, you know, from Raina's perspective and what she believes is most essential in our uh, experience of love. So I think we have a great show for you tonight, uh, something that will uh, inspire us uh, and give us a little bit of hope as, uh, you know, we move forward in these challenging uh, and difficult days. Uh, I see Raina is uh, there on the switchboard, and we are going to get to her in just a moment. Uh, right after uh, this, uh, uh, this, this short word from uh, Laura Perry. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labrys and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan coloring book, and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. Well, if you're a regular listener to the show, you recognize the name Laura Perry. Uh, she's uh, been here with me as a guest um, several times talking about the Minoan culture. So I would invite you to go back into our archives, and uh, you can just put in the blog talk search box, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Laura Perry, uh, and you'll be able to tune in to some of those uh, really interesting conversations about uh, the Minoan culture. Uh, Laura is involved with a group where they're actually doing some uh, reconstructionism uh, in, uh, to the Minoan culture uh, in a uh, contemporary context. Uh, the group she works with, um, you know, they're, they're practitioners, and uh, they are restoring that uh, culture for the modern day, and, uh, um, you know, you can see how it's so very relevant. Uh, so anyway, take a look at Laura's work. I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, especially if you're uh, interested in uh, the Minoan culture. So we're going to go ahead and uh, shift over to Arena and uh, say hello to her. I see, she, as I said, she's been uh, waiting on the switchboard uh, for just a minute or two here. Um, good evening, Raina. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me on your blog talk. Um, I'm honored to be there. Thank you so much, Karen. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for being with me, Raina, and it's nice to hear your voice. We've basically been emailing each other, so uh, we, yes. we haven't had the, 
haven't had the benefit of actually, uh, you know, connecting, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more intimately voice to voice. And uh, um, I'm so glad to have you with me tonight. And I think this is a really interesting topic. Um, but but let me just ask you a few personal questions first. Um, I, mm-hmm. I wonder um, what inspired you to go down uh, this path in particular. Was was there uh, anything in particular that um, uh, that in, that uh, inspired you or motivated you to uh, delve into this, um, you know, this sort of area? This topic? Yeah. Um, uh, well, mythology in general is something that fascinated me since I, I was a child. And I think that um, the great stories of our humanity uh, explain and give us a lot of direction as to how to live a human life culturally and socially and fairy tales as well. And I think love is one of the most essential topics. Uh, I think love is at the heart of creation and love is, is such a, a mystery for most of us in terms of how to have relationships. And so many things interfere with that love, including our own thoughts and beliefs and ideas. And I for one, wanted to explore the, the many facets of love and what it meant because I've, I've been um, searching, I guess, if you will, as to what it really means and, and what are its ramifications. So I've always been interested in all the many facets of love and, and what it really means you know, in, in someone's life. Right, right. Um, well, and, and and it is, is you know, it is probably one of the most important things uh, in our lives. You know, uh, you know, it gives our life Absolutely. meaning. Uh, uh, you know, it, it keeps us going. You know, probably. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, you and you hear about a mother's love. You know, a mother's love can, you know, get her adrenaline pumping so much. You, you know, you hear that old proverbial story where she can lift a car up to save her child. Um, Absolutely. So, so many different, so many different types of love. You know, people die there for love. There are many types. Yes. yes. Yeah. They die for love. They live for love, and love can be sacrificed. And um, I see it very much also as an agent of change in the world. Because if people didn't love each other, in, even in, a, in this country, in America, with the civil rights movement, if people didn't love each other and were from different backgrounds and colors, we wouldn't have the kind of change that we do have. So I well, see well, you know, uh, Go ahead. Well, you know, I wasn't going to go there quite yet, but since you've kind of opened up that, let's, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to my some of my last questions first, and, um, okay. <laughs> you know, so so I guess, you know, uh, from a social standpoint, from an anthropological standpoint, from a political standpoint, um, you know, we know, uh, you know, we we know all the things you and I just said about love. Um, we know how Jesus, for instance you know, talked about love. You're going to tell us how, uh, you know, uh, Aristotle and, and Plato talked about love. Um, yeah. But, you know, I Actually, wonder, yeah, you know, a, when... A lot, of the, a lot of the ideas about love 
today are, go back to that. Even the Christian idea of agape go back, go, goes back to Plato and Aristotle, actually. So, yes. Well, and and maybe you're going to answer this question in you know in 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 those uh, sort of talking points we're going to get to. But you know, I've been thinking about um, how polarized our society is, and um, how especially now with uh, you know when, since Trump has come on the scene, you know, since the presidential campaign, and you know his rhetoric, I feel, is really just sort of given license to some of the ugliest and un loving things, you know, I've ever heard from, you know, leaders, uh, you know, and then and, and the news media just sucks it up and, you know, plays it on their 24-hour news cycle. So, you know, it feels like it gives license to people to be really ugly. Um, and, yeah. and, and I've and, and I've heard before, you know, I've had psychologists on the show saying, well, you know, we talked about how do we close the divide between the left and the right, and usually the answer always is, well, you know, we have to find common ground with them. We have to love them. But I wonder if love is really the word is where I'm going with this, because it's mm. hard to imagine it's, it's hard to imagine loving someone who's so different from you, um, I mean, I imagine loving Donald Trump, for instance, you know, yeah. is, it, is, is it really more respect and maybe tolerance than love, you think, that we need? Or is it love in the, I don't know, in the spiritual sense? Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, well, is love the wrong word, you, you think? I, you know, I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's necessarily the wrong word. It depends how you interpret it, like, for instance, the, uh, the psychologist Eric Fromm, he, he wrote a book called The Art of Listening, and for him to understand another means to love him, and of course he wasn't in, in talking in the erotic sense, he was talking about in the sense of reaching out to him and then and going to a place of understanding and loving, because he saw those understanding and loving as being inseparable. So allowing yourself to be willing to listen and to understand another, in a way, is to um, to go to that place that is loving. So okay. you don't have to love the person in the first place, but you have to be willing to listen, and you have to be willing to understand where they're coming from. Okay, so, and, okay. And, fair and enough. And Eric Trump thought of that as love as well. So. Okay. Well, and it's interesting you brought him up. Um, he's, I've actually been uh, reading him uh, for the last couple months. I started with his uh, To Have or To Be, and then I went on to um, The Essential From, From Having to Being, and now I'm, I'm on The Art of Being, and <laughs> the next one okay. is, uh, I think, I, you know, I, I think Love, Equality, and Matriarchy uh, by Eric Fromm. I really like him, and um, I, I'm so sad it took me so many years to find him. <laughs> um, I think... I think he's I think he's great but but I like that you know I like that the way you describe that's a different way to think of love and that makes yeah. so much more sense than to think um that we would you know uh, it, uh, you know it that's that seems doable I guess is what I'm saying a lot more doable than actual loving um, yeah. you know some of these folks Yeah and for him actually to love someone meant to actually 
be willing to listen and to understand them. And if you separate those two, like understanding and loving, it just becomes some kind of cerebral process. And, and for him, the, the door to essential understanding remains closed. So there is okay. for him this, this connection between understanding and loving. Okay. And, and let me ask you before we go any further, um, or, do you have me on a speakerphone? Uh, because I'm getting a little bit of an echo. Um, uh, no, no speakerphone. I, I have my little earbuds on. Maybe I can okay. lessen that. Okay. They're, they're okay. new Let's... earbuds. I got them just recently. So. Okay. All right. And just, and, just, and just make sure you don't fiddle with anything either while we're talking, you know. Um, okay. I, I, realize, I realize you're probably hands-free if you're using the earbuds, but, um, yes. but we can he- hear if you, you know, shuffle papers or you're uh, doing the dishes or something, you know, while oh, you're no, talking no, no, to I'm us. I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> Okay, okay, good, good, good. Um, all right, then. Well, you know what, let's, uh, and, and, you know, and I think that might be one of the most important things we say tonight is is that definition of love, you know, because I think people might have imagined, um, in, in a way maybe even gotten hopeless when they hear uh, hear us continue to say, well, we have to, you know, love love our enemy. We have to love the Donald Trumps of the world. That's our only hope for saving the world. But by the way you described it, citing from that, that does sound so much more doable. And I, I, I think that uh, is is uplifting and and hopeful to redefine love that way. Yeah, it doesn't sound um, as hard to reach. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because the other almost seems like pie in the sky, you know. Yeah. Um, it, like like that that could never possibly happen, you know. Because how how many married couples, you know, um, sometimes don't have a deep and abiding love, you know. It, it may just be something else, you know. It might be a, a camaraderie or something, you know. Love is love is a powerful word, and it I think it uh, conjures up all sorts of uh, deep. Uh, feelings, you know, d- deep feelings, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but let's uh, let's go ahead and you know now let's go back to the beginning, and um, okay. the, uh, so the seven aspects of love that Plato and Aristotle talked about. Tell tell listeners about that. Sure, sure. Well, the the one of the very first ones, which is the closest to our notion of romantic love today, would be eros. The, that's the you know the god is seen as the god of love, but they talk also about philia, which has mostly to do with friendship and goodwill, and then there is storge, which is a kind of philia, but it's related to parents and children and the sense of familiarity or dependency. Then there is agape, which is this universal love. Um, even love of the stranger or love of the enemy, and that notion was taken up by Christianity. And uh, actually, um, Martin Luther King Jr. also embraced that notion of agape. He talked about that quite a bit as part of his uh, nonviolence principles. Um, and there is also in the Greek tradition, ancient Greek tradition, ludus, which is playful love, which is more interested in fun and seduction. 
And then there is pragma, which is the root of the word pragmatic, and it's practical love, and it's based on duty and reason and long-term interest. And then there's philautia, which is self-love, which can be either positive or negative. So in the unhealthy kind of self-love, there's a form of, of hubris, like one who places himself above the gods, uh, like, I guess sometimes some politicians tend to do that. Um, and in the healthy self-love, that's very close to the idea of self-esteem. And it's a strong emotional inner compass that doesn't need out of validation uh, from other people or with money or status or fame. And, okay. of course, all these different loves can actually interact and influence one another as well. And well, and, all these and, aspects. Well, and, I'm, and you've got me thinking too now, aside from what we just said about from and listening and understanding, I wonder if that agape is also the type of love we can use to... Um, uh, you know, embrace. I'm going to use the word embrace because I'm not sure what other word to use. You know, to use right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, you know, to embrace the other. You know, to em- yeah. to embrace the someone who is not like us at all, or maybe oh, even. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, um, and, that, and that's, so, that's how Martin Luther King Jr. saw it and and used it in. Um, and he really talked about it, in, uh, especially in his 1958 essay, An Experiment in Love. He really talked about that one of the essential principles of his nonviolence philosophy was agape love, which was basically um, what he said was that it avoids not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of the spirit. So hmm. the nonviolent resistor would not only refuse to shoot the opponent, but he also refuses to hate him, which okay. is at the center of his of nonviolence. Right, right, right. The refusal to hate. Um, yes, that's that's uh, that that's pretty potent. You know, the refusal yes, to hate. Yes, I think so too. Yes. Yeah. Um, shoot, you know, we sh- we sh- that should be everybody's mantra. Let's just refuse to hate everybody. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, exactly. You know, it, 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 kind of like that saying. I remember after uh, oh, what was the Rodney King beating out here in Los Angeles? I think, and mm-hmm. he said, "Can't we mm-hmm. all? Can't we all just get along? Just you get know, along. Can, yes." Yeah, just yeah. get along. So, so now, all right. So, uh, and and the well, the last one I think you said was pragma, from from pragma. Pragma, yes. from, And yeah, well, that, I find that interesting. Yeah, and and I find that interesting too, uh, because you know that kind of calls to mind partnerships. You know, makes me think of yes. partnerships. You know, you know, maybe even marriages of convenience, or mm-hmm. um, you know, marriage. You know, maybe people have been married a very long time, and uh, you know, you don't have that burning eros maybe anymore, mm-hmm. you know, that burning mm-hmm. desire. But it's you know, you have long-term mutual interests and a history together, kind of a thing. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what it's about. 
So would you say even uh, so would you say uh relationships even go through different uh you know through these different phases? They absolutely can and and um and in, in even in ancient times, both Plato and Aristotle talk about all of the different aspects of love um, being able to interact and influence one another and change over time and so on. Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. And so now the the seven aspects um, these uh, these come from Plato and Aristotle. Aristotle, yes, they both talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, all right. And and so. Um, when, then, when then you were going to say, you know, there's also the aspect of uh, love that is God. When does it is that um, is that uh, sort of simultaneous with uh, uh, Plato and Aristotle, or does that come later yes. on? Yes, yes. No, I mean Plato and Aristotle took a more um, philosophical route, if you will. But the idea of love as the God of love that was very much embodied in the idea of eros. Eros was the god of love. So love was a god, was seen as a god. And um, okay. as a very dangerous god that even the other gods were afraid of. Because <laughs> love can make... And is that because because love can make us do so many uh, wild and crazy things? Absolutely. It completely makes us act completely irrationally. Even the most logical, rational minded of us can end up doing some crazy things. Right, right, With, right, right. In the name of love, yes. Okay. Um, it, and so, all right, so we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, love is God, you know, Eros, the Greek. Um, mm-hmm. But does that, does that, transfer or uh, does that continue on to you know Yahweh Jesus Allah uh, is it is it the same or does it become something different um, I think it's connected uh, I mean certainly with Christianity the idea of agape was very much taken from uh, Plato and Aristotle from ancient Greece which is another aspect of love but that's a more impersonal love Whereas Eros was seen as really shooting his arrows into, you know, someone's heart. It was a very personal attack, if you will, of love. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. shifts into a more impersonal idea. So now I'm going to ask you a question. This might really be a curveball, okay? So if, okay. if it is and, 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 you know, you don't want to go there, that's okay. But, you know, you're, um, I can't help but think about um, how Jesus, you know, Jesus taught love, but it feels more and more today Christians aren't about love. Um, you know, we know a lot of the Republicans uh, or, you know, evangelicals, they're, you know, uh, Christianity is supposed to be uh, their motivating factor. You know, they're supposed to be the party of religion. Um, how, I mean, how is it one of these phases of love that they use to justify the horrible things that they do that don't look like love at all? I mean, like the healthcare thing that's going on right now. Right. I think it's because they they 
take out the part of it that they don't like or that bothers them, which is, for me, connected to the feminine. I think when you think about the teachings of Jesus, you know, love thine enemy as thyself, there's something incredibly powerful there, but there's something very about relating to the other, which to me is connected to the feminine principle. And I think that's the part that some, uh, let's say maybe some Republicans or some people who who kind of look at the Bible in a, in a certain way um, really kind of disconnect from that aspect, which is essential to the idea of love if you see it as connection and relatedness which is very much what the feminine principle is about, which is why for me, in a certain sense, uh, the teachings of Jesus, uh, in their essence, uh, have a strong feminine character. Yes, I, I agree. Well, and I'm thinking, too, you know, maybe the Republicans, you know, the, in their authoritarianism, uh, maybe they see some of the horrible things they do that may cause so much suffering. You know, let's just for a minute give them, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt that it's not all about greed. Um, and, uh, you know, let's say, could, it, it, could they be using their authoritarianism as tough love? Do you think they could really think they're loving people doing the things they do? Uh, I'm sure they have convinced themselves that they're being righteous in uh, what they're doing. I think people have to believe what they're doing in order to do it on some level. Right? They, they, yeah. I don't think they, they, they have to convince themselves that they, they believe in what they're doing. Otherwise, I think it would be too difficult to keep lying to yourself, you know, right, all the time. Right, right, So, um, Eleanor of Aquitaine, um, how does she fit into this topic? I, I, you know, I probably should know more about her. I really know very little. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm originally French, so she, she's being French. Uh, you know, I ended up studying her, and, um, and she was a revelation to me. Uh, as well, actually. Um, the the idea here is not so far away from love as a god. Um, the shift was in, in medieval times, as you know, women were seen as commodities. They were property. They were used in exchange for power or land or higher status in the society. But in the 12th century... Um, Eleanor of Aquitaine, who was um, the daughter of the Duke of Aquitaine, William X, who happened to be a very great troubadour. Troubadour was a a singer of, I guess, for lack of a better term, of love songs. And she continued in the same vein as what he had started, but what she really wanted was for women and for herself to be treated with respect and not as property. And that's why I think of her as like maybe one of the first feminists. She wanted yeah, to think, things to change uh, for the better. So 
this idea of romantic love, of courtly love, that's what it was called originally, l'amour courtois, was really, and chivalry, was born out of this desire to shift the attitude towards women at that time. And uh, away from away from he, being a commodity, you mean? Away from yes, being a commodity. Okay. Exactly. And, and uh, because women were forced into marriages, like at a very young age, to men who were much older, very often, as commodities, because they had property or they were virgins or whatever it was. So this idea of courtly love was really about. The love, you, you chose each other, um, generally 99% of the time you weren't married to each other, but the man would dedicate all of his, he would devote all of his most daring and chivalrous acts and deeds to his beloved, the one who was not his wife, but the romantic ideal of his heart. So it was considered like a, a very spiritual love, but at the same time, it was romantic love. And for the troubadours, because um, love was God, God was love. Right, right. It was right. the same thing. And Eleanor herself was a really remarkable woman. She, first she... Um, after her father died, she had been promised to the king of France, and she basically joined him on crusades and got her, made sure that he you know, kept his promise. She became queen of France and brought that whole idea of courtly love to the court of France. And then she managed to get herself divorced from her first husband, the king of France, and helped uh, Henri de Plantagenet, who was the Duke of Normandy, she helped him become king of England. So she then ah. brought courtly love to the court of England. So she was quite wow. an extraordinary woman. Yes, and she, she outlived both her husband and most of her sons. You know, I'm thinking now, I, was, uh, I, I binge-watched uh, The White Queen and The White Princess. Uh, was, she, uh, was she in that? Was she one of those characters? Um, white queen, white princess. Uh, I'm not sure she was, but she certainly could have been uh, part of that series. I don't know because I didn't see it. I didn't watch it. So, um, oh, okay, okay. But uh, um, uh, Henry uh, Montagnier, who became king of England, he was the son of. Um, William, what is it? William the Conqueror, who was also from Normandy, and his mother was also quite a woman. So, women were really managed to be powerful. You know, some rare women managed to become powerful and really start shifting things in that way. I think she was, especially Eleanor, was amazing. So how well this courtly love that she um, 
you know that that she influenced uh mm-hmm. well well that well that she brought to the courts of of England and France um how long did that last i mean was it a was was it a long lasting effect it's still lasting to this day it's, it was the basis for all of our ideas about romantic love today okay okay yeah oh yeah of course, it was quite right. disapproved of by the church, and there was, you know, a lot of repression against it and the Inquisition and all that, but, you know, because God forbid, <laughs> that's kind of a funny thing to say, but God forbid people choose each other, right, in love at that time. Mm-hmm. But certainly, it, it was the basis for our romantic ideal today. Okay. And would you say that courtly love, was that for the rich elite, or did any of this sort of uh, filter down to the average people? I think it was at first because it came from from Eleanor, and she was the queen both of France and then afterwards of England. It certainly was first for the elite, but I also believe that eventually it also trickled down. But you have to also understand that the more um, women were in in a family that had status or the more property they had, the less freedom they had. So really, like uh, someone who was a a peasant had more freedom to fall in love and marry the person they loved than, than someone who was, you know, in higher social status. That's yeah, why. because they they had to, they had to make a political alliance, and love couldn't really enter into yeah. the equation. Yes, it was political, economic, and so on. Yes, but that's why, okay. in in many ways, Eleanor's um, bringing forth this idea of courtly love was so revolutionary and and daring in that time. So, how many years was she around? Uh, because you know sometimes these these uh, kings and queens, uh, you know their their influence is very short lived, and other times you know they're around for a lifetime. Uh, was she around for a good while? She she was around longer than both her husbands and most of her sons. She was born in the early 12th century, um, 1122, and she died in the 13th century, in 1204. So she was around. For quite a long time. Yeah, yeah she was in her time. late 70s, 80s when she died. Yes. Wow, mm-hmm. cool. Um, okay, so let's um, let's get into the idea of love to change society. Um, you mm-hmm. Now you've already sort of, you know, we've touched a little bit on that, I guess. But give some. Exa- I, I think you had some examples. Maybe you wanted to give. Well. I think, you know, just um, the idea in in this country, you know, when you think about um, going back to uh, the 19th century, for instance, um, you've had great couples right from the beginning of our country's history that have broken down barriers and changed the laws. Um, there's a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He, his name was Thaddeus Stevens. He was the congressional leader of abolitionists in uh, 1848. And he, um, 
and his lover, who was a mulatto, her name was Lydia Smith, they ran a station on the Underground Railroad right out of his house. And nobody knew about it. I mean, it got discovered much, much later because they were excavating the house or redoing it or something. So even right in the midst of, you know, really difficult time with slavery and so on, you already had people who were breaking down those barriers. Of course, you know, the whole Underground Railroad itself is, you know, there was such, I think, deep love uh, for freedom and for human beings that were at the root of that. Um, and, you know, you had a, a member of the House of Representatives who was part of it. And right. he managed to do it and nobody knew about it. Hmm. So, so what? It, it, that and, was and sort of an, I'm sorry? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I mean, you I, finish I, your thought. I don't think a lot of people know about this. You know, it's not like very well known. No, I think people know about the Underground Railroad, but probably not about these specific people. Um, right. You know, you, right. uh, yeah. Well, and, and so now, so we're talking about social justice in a sense as love. Absolutely. Yes, uh, social justice in the name of love. And, and I don't know that he would have been as involved if his lover hadn't been a, a, a woman who was herself, you know, of mixed race. Right, so, right, right. And then you have, um, they made a, recently, they made a movie about, called Loving. And um, um, Richard Loving and Mildred Jetter, who were uh, also this, amazing couple. He was white and she was black. And they just wanted to be able to get married and stay in their home state of Virginia. But at the time, in the um, 19, early in the 1960s, you couldn't, you couldn't do that in Virginia. It was against the law. Right. And, and the case of loving, I mean, you can't have a, a much better last name than that for this subject. <laughs> Um, I know, wasn't that funny? I, I, I saw that movie, it was wonderful. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, they, they, it was a landmark civil rights decision of the United States Supreme Court, right? It was Loving versus the state of Virginia. And it invalidated laws that prohibited interracial marriage. So... In some ways, that's, that's like the heart of the civil rights movement to me. You know, it's such an example yeah. of, of, of love, you know, being triumphant over uh, the social, you know, injustice. And, and Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and then you could tack on to that, you know, the recent um, strides that the uh, uh, LB, uh, you know, the, the lesbian, gay, lesbian, gay, trans yeah. people have made, uh, you know, there as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yes. If, if people didn't love each other, you know, that's what propelled people to want to have the right to marry and to have equal rights with other people because they want to be able to have a family together. Right, Regardless right. of gender or anything. So would That's it be going too so far? So would it be going too far to say people who fought for labor laws, you know, against child labor or sweatshops and, 
you know, uh, sex trafficking, all of that sort of stuff, that those uh, those are people who are also uh, examples of of love changing or trying to change Absolutely. society? I think so. I mean, you can include all kinds of, of, of other people in that, people who love the earth, right, who are yeah. ecologically minded and strive to to bring about environmental laws in this country, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, people who love animals, people, you know, who care deeply about the elderly or about education. There is a, a deep passion, a, a love that propels them to try to change things in a certain area of their lives. And it can impact right. many other people. You know, I, I'm I'm so glad we we spoke about this. You know, because um, I really like the context uh, that that you're bringing to all of this. You know, as as a social justice activist myself, who uh, you know, uh, who I had to sort of pull back a little bit because I felt like I was kind of getting close to burnout. Um, I don't know. You've made me feel better tonight. You've you've kind of lifted my oh, spirits. Good. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. Now, um, now, uh, tell us about the study that um, tracks long-term emotional well-being. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a study that was done, uh, started, oh, my goodness, when did it start? Um, it lasted 75 years, and it, it's called the Grant and Luke study, and it was a Harvard-based study. And it tracked the physical and emotional well-being of two different types of men, somewhere from a, a poor area of Boston and others were graduates from Harvard classes. And it, so it started in the um, late 30s, early 40s, and it tracked it for like 75 years. So it took uh, many people and many researchers, you know, um, going back to starting like before World War II and all the way through to the, you know, 21st century. And, and the, the, the biggest conclusion was that it had to do with, you know, what, what keeps people happier and healthier, basically, the biggest predictor of your happiness and fulfillment overall in life is love. Hmm. And this study well, basically specifically demonstrates that having someone in your life to rely on helps your nervous system relax. It helps your brain stay healthier for longer. It reduces emotional as well as physical pain. So, it, and it's not about how many friends you have or if you have the perfect romantic relationship like as if that exists, but it's really about the quality of the relationship. That is to say how much vulnerability and depth exists in those relationships, how safe you feel sharing with another human being, and the extent to which you can relax and be seen for who you truly are and also truly see another person. And the um, Georges Vaillant, who was the Harvard psychiatrist who directed the study from 1972 to 2004, which is quite a long time, 
he said there were two foundational elements to this. One was love, and the other is finding a way of coping with life that does not push love away, which is hmm. a, big, a big one, right? Because you can, if you undergo a trauma, like whether you're losing a job or losing a parent or losing a child, and if you don't deal with the trauma, you could end up coping in a way that pushes love away. So that, that was, to me, that was the two, you know, most powerful thing about that study was being aware of what pushes love away and the, the, the quality of the relationship, vulnerability and the ability to see and to be seen that dictates the, the happiness and well-being of the person. Wow. You know, I find that so interesting uh, because, uh, you know, I, I've, I've often thought about these people who, uh, you know, I thought about greed, you know, and people who just never seem to have enough. And, mm-hmm. and I've always, uh, you know, I, look, I, I, playing amateur psychologist, I thought these people must have a gaping hole inside of them, and maybe they just don't have enough love, and that's why mm-hmm. they're so greedy. And, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting that, that you say, you know, that the studies show that it's, it's love that contributes to the emotional well-being of people, not money. You know, no. I, I mean, you know, and and so you would. It's it's a shame, isn't it, that the people who are so obsessed with materialism and consumerism and uh, an unfettered wealth. Um, I don't know if there were a way to reach them. You know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, yeah. maybe what these people, what these people need in their life is, is the, what you just described, you know, yeah. um, and, and somehow they're being seen, um, I, well, how do I want to language this? Uh, you, you, you said that it's, it's important that we be seen. You know, uh, yes, but they aren't seen us who we are in, and in our vulnerability. Okay, okay, and and so so having money, even if you're famous and wealthy and can do anything or buy anything or buy anyone, um, you know that doesn't guarantee that. No, absolutely not. It doesn't. It doesn't. Hmm. Ah, if if there were only way for these folks to wake up in in some awareness, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. um, so was there more you wanted to say about that, or did you want to move on to uh, some of your other uh, talking points? No, I I think it's it's just a really really powerful conclusion uh, mm-hmm. from from this study because. You know, it, it, and for me, the two are, the two aspects are really important. You know, one is understanding that love is what will bring happiness. You know, but it has to be a particular kind of love, that where there is a sense of safety and vulnerability with another. Right. So it's not like a superficial. Oh, I have lots of friends, and you know, all that. It's right. different. And right. then, you know, learning to not push love away because of whatever life can bring, 
is the other part. And I think that takes some work for sure. Because, because, for instance, I mean, I'm sure there are other reasons, but, like, people are afraid to be emotionally hurt, like if they've had a broken heart once. Yes, exactly. You know, people will shut down, or if some uh, any other kind of difficulties show up in, in, in life, uh, you know, losing a job and you feel like you have to focus all your energy and, and deal with that, or, you know... Uh, having another, any kind of loss can shut you down in some way or another and, and prevent love from flowing between you right. and another person. And I suppose this could also, um, we could also be talking about platonic love. I mean, for instance, yes. friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I would imagine betrayal in a friendship um, oh, sure. would, be, would, would be something... Uh, you know, akin to uh, a, a, a broken heart with with lovers. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So um, now, you know, maybe this is obvious, but you know, I want to ask you anyway because you know, you, uh, I, I love the context of everything you've said tonight. Maybe you have a different way of talking about this as well. Um, the power of love related to the feminine principle. Yes, um, I think for me, you know, and you sort of touched a little bit on it when we were talking about the teachings of, of Jesus. Um, but I, I love what the, the great Jungian analyst, Marion Wood, Woodman, uh, says about that. Um, she explains that the, the feminine principle, um, so I'm not talking about the gender here at all, right? I'm talking about the feminine principle. It lives right. or is suppressed in both men and women. And the feminine principle is about relatedness. So instead of breaking things off into different parts, the feminine principle says, where are we alike? How can we Mm -hmm. connect? Where is the love? Can you listen to me? Can you really hear what I'm saying? Can you see me? Do you care whether you see me or not? And for... Marion Woodman, you know, these are very serious, important questions. And it's they are. And 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 in many ways she thinks the feminine is very difficult to talk about because few people actually have experienced that principle. That that feminine presence, that relatedness, the heart that can actually open so that when you meet another person you're actually Seeing that person's authentic self. Yes. Right? Yes. Well, and and you know, since you're saying this, uh, and I, I and and you've read from uh, Eric Fromm, um, yes. I found as I as I was reading him, the idea of being was very much mm-hmm. the feminine principle. Did do you agree? Yes, I I absolutely agree with that. It's it's about. And, yeah, being your authentic self and being in relating and relatable in that sense. And and I found, and now I haven't finished reading all of his stuff, but I found that 
even because we uh, it, 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 uh, to uh, agree with you, and you said that it's uh, so few people have had this experience, it's hard for them to understand the feminine principle. I even found that from had a little bit of trouble sometimes explaining what um, the art of being was. You know, and mm-hmm. and I wonder if it's if it's not because of how society has been for so long. You know, um, there there just I, aren't I, yeah. that many role models out there. Yeah, yeah. Or, or there's a lack of realization that what he's really talking about is that feminine principle, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, he would talk about something in psychological terms. And I would, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking to myself, oh, I wish he would, gi- I wish he would give an example. I wish he would give an example. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and and so your experience of love. Well, you know, m- my own experience has taken me through all of these um, throughout history, all of these aspects and including into um, researching, you know, what is it that is a barrier to love for me? You know, where does that come from? And doing um, a lot of inner work as well as um, even seeking out, you know, uh, shamans in uh, Central and South America and really trying to learn, like, to let go of my own barriers to love. And there is a, there's a kind of like a poem by um, Galway Kinnell, who is one of our Pulitzer uh, Prize poets. Um, and I love, I love what he, he says. <clears throat> he says, we are all seeking that special person who is right for us. But... If you've been through enough relationships, you begin to suspect there is no right person, just different flavors of wrong. (laughs) Why is is this? Because you yourself are wrong in some way, and you seek out partners who are wrong in some complementary way. But what he says that I love is that it takes a lot of living to grow fully into your own wrongness. And it isn't until you finally run up against your deepest demons, your unsolvable problems, the ones that make you truly who you are, that you're ready to find a lifelong mate. And only then (laughs) do you finally know what you're looking for. You're looking for the wrong person but not just any wrong person, the right wrong person. The right wrong person. Yes, someone you can gaze upon and think, this is the problem I want to have. Right? The special person who is wrong for me in just the right way. And so from his point of view, it's about letting our scars fall in love. Wow. 
I love that. That is powerful. And, you know, what yeah. that also says to me is that, you know, so well, I mean, they say, you know, people are getting married later in life now. You know, women especially are waiting to get married. Um, uh-huh. And this doesn't have to this doesn't have to be marriage. I mean, but uh, it makes me think that, uh, you know, like like me, I got the first time I got married, I, I, I think I was 19 or 20. What in the heck do we know about anything? When we're nineteen or twenty, you, you know, and, yeah. and it, it almost it almost feels like it, uh, it, what you just described. It might take us decades to figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. if we figure it out, if we figure right. it out, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the so right is, wrong is, person. So, is it any wonder maybe that love can be so hard? Yeah, and I think this this is this this idea of trying, you know, this uh, whole culture of trying to become like to fix ourselves, all the things that are wrong with us, to become this perfect person instead of really, um, in some ways, being more accepting of who we really are. Like, what are our basic qualities and faults, and to have more care and compassion, maybe, or maybe tenderness for all yeah. these parts of ourselves. Yeah. Instead of, and, you know, hating ourselves into love, which I don't think really works. Well, and, and also, too, I'm thinking after you've, you know, ex- explained the seven aspects of love, um, maybe sometimes we overlook relationships that are love, but maybe yeah. because they aren't this idealized romantic love, we don't recognize them as love. Yes, or we dismiss them in some way. Yeah, yeah, because they haven't, you know, fit our bill of you know, this idealized love. Well, and, you know, one type of love we didn't really talk about is sexual love, or does that fall yeah. under one of the categories of the seven? I think that's the the, love, the Eros love, and I think that is um, ended up, actually, it's kind of interesting, because in the beginning with courtly love and this idea of romantic love, it was, it was meant to be a very spiritual and ideal love, uh, that uh, Eleanor Vakitan started, but it got um, it got sexualized, and and yeah, I think things were a little bit evolved a little bit differently than what the primary intention was. So yeah. the erotic love came into with the idea of the romantic love got conflated, but I think in the beginning it was meant to be a more spiritual idea. Well, and, and, you know, and I might be stating the obvious here, but just for people today, um, sometimes I wonder if people don't confuse um, lust for love um, or desire for love uh, and then they wonder maybe why it fades and it doesn't last a lifetime, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's kind of referring to ludus, which is one of the aspects of the seven aspects, which is more playful love, which is about 
not about commitment or anything like that. And, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why it's not meant to last for a long time, but people get confused, I think. They do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least now, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think maybe millennials, you know, they've, they've kind, you know, they kind of have the hookup, um, where my generation wouldn't, didn't have something like that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where, where mm-hmm. now, 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 if you're, you're just gonna have a hookup, well, nobody expects that it's going to be more than just kind of a playful tryst. Um, right, but you know, but you think you know there are, there are some generations that you know if you sleep with someone uh, and you know you feel that desire, well, sometimes that gets confused with um, you know with with the kind of love that uh, you know would lead to marriage or something, and you know maybe it, it doesn't, it it just fades. Right, right, yeah. So, um, is is there any more uh, you want to say on the subject, Raina? Um, something maybe I've uh, haven't thought to ask you. Oh my goodness! I, I you know, um, I think there is a dimension of love that is purely uh, a mystery. That is so you know that's why they've referred to it as a god or as God. And I think that's a dimension of love that when we talk about the different types of love, we don't often think about or talk about. But that dimension of love that remains a mystery, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that's beyond just, you know, physical attraction or any of the other things. But that is the realm of the God. And um, right. that can lead to real transformation. You know, love can deeply transform and change you in one way or another. Absolutely. Whether it's through a, whether it's through a broken heart or you know a transcendent experience or whatever it is. Right. So I have to ask you: Do you have a favorite love uh, a favorite love story? You know, movie love story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I have a favorite movie love story, but I do have several stories of of couples that have, you know in, often have defied boundaries and ideals about love that I think are extraordinary. Um, let me see. Think about that. Um, I mean, there's the Tristan and Isolde, you know, medieval story, which is a, a classic example um, where, you know, when he's told that he's falling in love with Isolde, who is uh, promised to King Mark, is going to be his downfall um, and that it's going to, you know, condemn him to death, basically, and... And for him, it's his life. You know, he's willing to go to hell, you know, for this love. So yeah. that's the ideal, you know, in terms of being right. willing to sacrifice your life for love. But in, uh, in, in terms of 
uh, relationships, you know, there's so many amazing stories. Um, I think I mentioned Rachel, did I mention Rachel Carson? She was one of the uh, the great ecologists uh, of the 19, early 1960s, and um, she had a great and beautiful friendship with a, a woman, uh, Dorothy Freeman, who was married to someone and so on. And and they had a deep, deep, beautiful friendship, which actually really helped Rachel Carson because she she died of cancer, so she got very ill pretty quickly. And Dorothy Freeman was incredibly uh, supportive of her and loving of her. So these, to me, like this relationship transcends uh, our normal ideas about what love is. You know, because they were right. friends, but they had a deep, uh, deep, deep affection for each other. And um, then you have I, you the know, relationship of, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go. I was thinking about another relationship of, of uh, Khalil Gibran, who is famous for having written The Prophet and written about love, and his relationship to Mary Haskell who supported him and helped him, and she was a wealthy woman. And she actually turned down his offer of marriage because she felt that it would uh, not be right because he was meant to have a great future as a teacher and a writer. And um, she wanted to support him, even though... They had, you know, such, you know, an incredible love. And they yeah. Have, um, so, so there's, you know, great, great stories. Um, also, you have uh, one of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver. Um, she had a lifelong great love with the photographer uh, Molly Malone Cook, and she spoke about it and talked about the gift of difference, how they saw the world differently and how it enriched each other's lives, you know, one another's lives. Hmm. Um, and then you have um, the great German poet, Rainer Maria Rilke, who had this incredible love story with um, the, this Russian-born uh, psychoanalyst and writer, uh, Lou Andrea Salome. And she was 15 years older than him. Um, so, I mean, there's so many incredible stories in, in our, you know, history to, to look at people who really transcended barriers and boundaries and, and have really deep, long-lasting uh, love stories that inspire me. You know, I was I was just thinking how wonderful it would be for uh, to put an anthology together of some of the greatest love stories. I'm sure someone must have done it. <laughs> there must be some I, I out don't there. Know, but it sounds really good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those are some great yeah. stories. Um, well, and you know, we're getting to the end of our time here, and. Um, I, I I want to tell listeners that uh, you are going to be back. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but I think it's in September. Uh, you're going to be giving another talk at the Goddess Temple, but this next talk is going to be on the Tarot. Um, That's and right. so you will so you will uh, in conjunction with that 
uh, talk at the Goddess Temple down in Orange County. You're also going to come back on the air and talk about uh, talk about the Tarot. So I, I really look forward to that. And uh, you know, as I was reading your bio, Raina, um, and I didn't get a chance to say all uh, all of this about you. And and I want to just take a minute and tell uh, listeners about some of these other interesting things about you. Uh, and then I then I want to make a comment. Um, so besides uh, having a master's degree in film from Columbia U and a PhD in mythological studies. Uh, you are a speaker, a teacher, a writer. Uh, you have taught myth and symbol, magic and ritual, and archetypal uh, patterns in cinema uh, for 15 years. Uh, you conduct meditation groups, and you help students and patients find healing images of their lives in a process you call the cradle and the crown. Uh, published author, poet, documentary filmmaker. Uh, you had an article on war trauma and spiritual transformation published in Psychological Perspectives, uh, the Jungian Psychology Magazine. Uh, you study ancient frame drum, natural horsemanship, and you spend your time between Ojai and Los Angeles, and you have a cute little puppy. I don't know if he's little anymore, but, but by the name of Newman. He's, uh, he's, um, he's, yeah, he's turned, just turned 11 months. Okay. Well, you know, there's so many interesting things in your bio. Um, you know, I, I think there are other interviews there if you ever, uh, you know, if, if you think this was fun tonight and you want to come back. I would love to hear more about the myth and symbol, magic and ritual and archetypal patterns in cinema. Uh, and maybe even your cradle and the crown process. Um, I, I sure. wonder if those would make uh, would would make some interesting chats. Oh, I'm sure they would. And some of some of those, I'd be happy to talk about them. Okay. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll think about that. You know, we'll get you on the calendar. Uh, you know, later on in the year, maybe talking about those things. Um, I've I've really enjoyed uh, chatting with you tonight. Uh, is there uh, anything you would like to leave? Uh, any thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with before you go? Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, the only, you know, I think asking questions is really important, and I, I thank you for all the, your questions tonight and, and your your help with this dialogue we had. But I guess um, I guess I would ask your listeners, you know, to look at what gift of love still wants to be born from your soul, you know, what love wants to illuminate not just your life, but the life of those around you, and how much more love can you express in in your life? Mm, important questions, and, yeah. and, in, and, in, and in thinking about that, you know, we just enhance our quality of life, I think, and the depth maybe of uh, the relationships we have around us, and who uh, who who doesn't need that, you know? Mhm. Absolutely. Okay. Um so uh Raina is uh is there a website for you yet? I know you had one under construction. Is it uh uh It's almost ready. It's okay. It's almost ready. And it's rainamparis.com. All right, and you're, uh, and and I know you're uh, you're an author. Uh, uh, any published books out there that you want to mention? 
sure. I had a book published by Warner Books. I'm sure it's on Amazon. And it was the Mothers to Be Dream book, which was about the dreams of, of both pregnant women and also fathers to be. And it's uh, nonfiction. Okay. And uh, do you have any classes or anything public coming up that you want to mention? Um, right now, I'm just working on another article, but it's not going to be out for a while, so I don't want to talk about it yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. All right. Well, listen. Um, thank you so much for tonight and uh, for uh, you know for all the the wisdom you've shared. Uh, I've I really enjoyed uh, you know your uh, your insight and the context uh, that that you've put everything. Uh, definitely some. Food for thought. Uh, I, I really oh, enjoyed good. the richness of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Okay. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, dear listeners, we're coming close to the end of the show. And uh, before I say good night, uh, Joe Carson has something to say to you. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Hi. Well, that uh, that was a trailer uh, from Joe Carson and her documentary, uh, Dancing uh, with Gaia. And um, that was Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. Uh, in it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about the earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddesses Gaia. You know, Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. Uh, and these spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. So if you've always wanted to see these places yourself but haven't, this is a great opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at DancingWithGaia.com. So if you enjoyed uh, my interview tonight uh, with Raina, and you're in the Southern California area, um, and you want to uh, know more about her uh, Tarot Talk and maybe attend it uh, at the Goddess Temple coming up in September, uh, you'll want to contact me and uh, perhaps get on my email list. Uh, if you're on my email list, you will uh, no doubt get notice of her talk there. Uh, and if you aren't already on my email list, just uh, contact me and, uh, uh, and I can add you. Uh, also, uh, again, 
for folks down in Southern California. I am going to be guest ministering uh, in Ava Park's place uh, the fourth Sunday in August at the Goddess Temple and the fourth Sunday in September at the Goddess Temple. I will also be the guest speaker that day, so I will do double duty and uh, give uh, Ava a chance to, uh, you know, take a much-needed uh, weekend of rest. So I look forward to seeing you, and uh, I hope you can uh, come out and uh, say hello and uh, share some thoughts. And as always, uh, I want to thank you for your listener loyalty. And uh, if you have any ideas uh, for guests or uh, themes for shows, uh, please don't hesitate to let me know. Uh, I will have a special uh, series coming up uh, later on in the year. Uh, We don't have it on the calendar yet, uh, but my third anthology will be coming out, we think, the end of September or the beginning of uh, October, and it is titled Awaken the Feminine, Dismantling Domination to Restore Balance on Mother Earth. And I will be chatting with some of the contributors to the anthology. And uh, that is uh, my third anthology, and uh, the reason I have done three not because it's a magical number, but uh, I guess it is, <laughs> uh, but because I really do believe in uh, partnership, and I see anthologies as partnership in action. And uh, it will be the third and probably final book in my Manifesting a New Normal uh, trilogy. Uh, the first was Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World. Uh, the second is Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward. Uh, those are out there now and available, and this last uh, anthology will be out in the fall. So if you're interested in getting all three, I'm sure I'll have a special price. Uh, just um, give me a jingle and uh, we can chat about it. And I can put you on the uh, the list to get an advanced copy. So um, thank you, dear listeners, uh, again uh, for tuning in tonight. I know uh, summer is a busy time. So many of you are away on vacation. Uh, I love to hear when you email me and uh, say you're binge listening to Voices of the Sacred Feminine as you're waiting for your plane, uh, that just tickles me pink. Uh, and uh, I love you all. So uh, just thank you for tuning in. I hope you're having a wonderful summer. And uh, be sure to hit the follow button on the show page for Voices of the Sacred Feminine so you don't miss uh, any of uh, my wonderful guests. Well, that about does it for me for tonight. I will be back with you next Wednesday, and I hope you'll be back with me. Bye-bye.